This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this week's episode, as we enter lockdown Mark II, we look back over some of MG's Mark IIs. Also, Neil Locke from the oldest MG Car Club Regional Centre joins us to talk about trialling and the other things that they get up to in their part of the world. The MG Car Club podcast. Hello, welcome to another MG Car Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you here. Hello, hope you're well as we enter another lockdown in the UK, which means Adam is not in Kimber House this week, but uh, you're back home, mate, aren't you? I am, and this is something I never thought I'd say to our to our podcast listeners, but uh, welcome to my bedroom. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> is it cosy in there? It's uh, yeah. I've got uh, I've got Ralph, our dog, here with me at the moment. So uh, if you do hear any barking, I, I apologise in advance. Um, but uh, I, I'm not able to go and join Mr. Zanussi uh, in the utility room because the utility room is chock a block with stuff from our kitchen and our lounge, as the building work is uh, nearing completion here at home. But uh, yeah, so uh, hello from the bedroom. Well, the rules are different all over the world at the moment. Uh, a lot of our European friends are in lockdown and have been for some weeks. Here in the UK, we literally today have just entered another four-week total lockdown due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was something that we well, we feared would happen, and it has happened. And here we are, working from home and keeping the car club running while everyone's locked in in their garages and at their various homes across the uh, the worldwide MG family. So, talking of Kimber House in particular, Adam, obviously everyone's been sent home. What's the current situation? So, yeah, so most of us are now working from home. However, we do still have Liz and Inika working at Kimber House. Um, so, membership, uh, joining the club and renewing your membership, that continues as per normal. Um, if you're ordering from the club shop, uh, Inika is still picking and packing orders and getting them out the door as per normal. Um, you know, we were very proud of, of the sort of uninterrupted service we were able to offer during the, uh, the first lockdown and that should continue during the second lockdown. We have um, sort of compacted the hours a little bit. So, Phone calls will only be answered between nine in the morning and half three in the afternoon. Um, but you can still reach all of the team on email. Um, we're still obviously managing our social media, so you can ping us a message through Facebook or through Twitter or through Instagram, depending on what your uh, favourite flavour of social media is. So we're still here. We're still supporting you. Um, you know, you and I will continue to do the, the podcast every week um, and we're still sending out the newsletter every week. So hopefully, despite the fact that we're all working in different places, no one should notice. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned that Inika is still working in the shop, which means all of your Christmas shopping and all of the products that we mention here on the podcast can still be shipped out to you with no delays at all, which is very important as we go towards Christmas around the world. Uh, also, of course, we'd like to keep you in touch. And we've heard from you throughout the past 31 episodes of the MG Car Club podcast. And this episode is no different as we go to our Antipode friends, in particular Graham Adams, who left us this message. Hi, Wayne and Adam. Congratulations on your podcasts. They have been the highlight of my week in life under the pace car, as you noted in one of your early editions. Your podcast features the midget was interesting and I concur with your thoughts. 
I restored a burnout shell, a left-hand drive Californian vehicle using the mechanicals from a rusted-out UK imported right-hand drive to make the frog. It has won a couple of national motor carners in the Victorian Club Championship. This year, before the lockdown, my daughter Amanda won two of the three non-speed events, the motor carner and autocross, outright in a field that included six club champions. It's rare that a female wins these events. The cover of the May 2020 club magazine Wheelspin featured her in the final wet motor car on her way to first place. The photographer, Rob Hasty, entered the photo in your competition. It's featured in the top 90 photos. Keep up the great work. I'm sure it's being enjoyed all around the world by the MG family. Safety fast. Graham Adams. It's great to hear from Graham down there on the other side of the world, Adam. And his daughter sounds like she's quite a handy driver as well. Yeah, no, brilliant message. And, you know, I've got all the time in the world for anyone who uh, spends that sort of time working on a midget. So, um, yeah, no, congratulations and thanks for the lovely message. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you with us, Graham. Great to have everyone with us here in the Worldwide MG community that joins us for this podcast every week. It really does mean a lot to Adam and I that you're listening in and joining in by sending us your messages. And you can send us a message as well. Very easy via mgpodcast.uk. Just use the contact form there or, of course, like Graham did, leave us a message on the voice message button machiney thing that you'll find on there it's all very very easy to use at mgpodcast.uk graham mentioned the top 90 finalists in our photo competition that was running throughout most of the summer that is also going to be part of the nec classic motor show virtual edition which is happening next weekend that's the video that we've put forward. So all of your photographs that you got involved with and submitted to that photo contest, which kind of turned into our virtual MG show as well through the first lockdown, uh, are going out to the worldwide NEC Classic Motor Show audience here from here in the UK, which for us is usually our big season ender really it's a huge show and normally by now adam you'd be packing the van wouldn't you yeah we'd be we'd be getting ready to head up to birmingham for well it turns into sort of although the show's only open for three days it turns into sort of a, a, a five-day odyssey for all of us um up in birmingham and yeah normally we'd be getting the vans loaded we'd be getting all the shop stuff ready to go we'd be coordinating members cars to put on display um and more than that we'd be looking forward to just catching up with everyone so to not have the nec um this year feels a little bit like a holiday's been cancelled or, or christmas has been cancelled because it is that sort of high point at the end of the show season that we all look forward to absolutely it is what i call a milestone of the year and one that i used to navigate my way through the year and i feel quite disorientated uh, at the moment for not having shows like that but um yep uh, sad we couldn't be there but of course it's even worse than we had thought it would be because as i say we are in lockdown here in the uk so uh, there's no way we would have been piling ourselves into the halls at the national exhibition center in birmingham uh, on mg news front adam mg has continued to expand the market throughout this year and if you're in Ireland now, the great news is MG has come to you because MG has arrived in Ireland. They announced this earlier on this week and they are bringing pretty much their UK lineup from what I can see across to the Republic of Ireland and already have set up a couple of dealerships, in particular through the Frank Keane Group 
in Ireland and the Frank King Group are to be the new MG dealerships. So uh, great news that MG continues to swallow up more markets. We were talking only last week about them entering Mexico and here we are on more our side of the world entering the Republic of Ireland as well. It's all part of this huge sort of growth strategy that, that MG are driving all over the world. You know, like you said, we spoke about Mexico last week. We've seen them go um, into more and more European markets. You know, they're now back in Germany. Um, and yeah, it was um, it was a shame that, you know, in Northern Ireland they had MG dealers. But once you cross the border into the Republic, you couldn't get hold of one of those new cars. I'm not sure quite what the import rules are between Northern Ireland and the Republic. But um, it's great now that there is going to be an option for, for Irish MG fans to get hold of the latest cars. Absolutely. The Frank King Group have been running car dealerships for over half a century in the Republic of Ireland, so they're well known over there. And it looks like they're going to be arriving with the uh, hybrid cars, starting with the MG ZSs. Uh, the ZSEV is due there as well, adding other vehicles to the range as next year continues. So brilliant. You'll have the full lot there. And they're also saying that the seven-year warranty that UK owners enjoy will also apply to the irish market as well so mg arriving in yet more territories around the world as we continue to look forward to of course that big anniversary 2024 where hopefully they'll have sold a million cars that year that's their aim isn't it yeah, fingers crossed, and you know they they do seem to have a a really good strategy, and and seem to be getting the kind of growth and numbers that they're going to need to to get up to that target in what four years time now. Mm, absolutely. Well, here we are in lockdown mark two. So what I thought we would do on this edition of the MG Car Club podcast, Adam, is talk about our favourite Mark Twos from the history of MG. It's a tenuous link, but one I think could, <laughs> that could work. Uh, so I thought I'd start us off because you know I always start off pretty old, and I'm going to go right the way back to 1939, and I'm going to argue this is a Mark Two because now and then I like to be a little bit controversial. And some people might argue that it's not a Mark II, it's a model in its own right. But I am picking the first Mark II in my Mark II Hall of Fame from MG's history as the MGTB, which I'm going to kind of consider as the T-type Mark II, because, of course, it followed the TA. And uh, it replaced the TA in May of 1939. It was launched then. And, of course, it had that more modern Morris 10-derived X-Pag engine, twin SUs, which was hot stuff in 1939. And it also had the new innovation of the plate, dry plate clutch system. MGs prior to this had had uh, the uh, clutches sitting in reservoirs of oil. Now, uh, dry plate clutch systems is what, every car has now nowadays we'd sort of take it for granted but in may 1939 that was top of technology so uh, the mgtb was noted for that uh, tickford's also that specialist coach builder tickford's built a coupe version of it as well drophead coupe version with a bit more luxury in it as well but i picked this one out really because it's very very rare they only made 379 well that means it's not very good i hear you cry wayne well no that's not strictly true because they didn't get to make any more than that because whilst the market had accepted the tb with all sorts of enthusiasm in 1939 people really warmed to that car and you can see the auto car reports of the time praising it 
before the market had ever got started, before any momentum grew behind the TB, of course, the Second World War broke out. Abingdon stopped all car production and switched almost exclusively to modifying tanks and making bits for aeroplanes. And so the TB kind of ended its life there before it had really begun, uh, with less than 400 ever built. So it remains a rare car. But then it gets all complicated with the T-types because fast forward to the 1950s and there was actually a TD Mark II, or it was as it was known in the UK, the competition model. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it was offered alongside, so strictly not a Mark II, I suppose you could argue, because it was offered at the same time as the Mark I TD, or the normal TD, whatever you want to call it, uh, was launched in 1950, was basically a highly tuned version of the TD. They made about 1,700 of these Mark II TD competition models, but they didn't really catch on in the UK because, unfortunately, here... We were still on post-war fuel, which was limited to 70-something octane. Very low octane fuel, anyway. And they'd done most of the tuning on the competition engines for the TD Mark IIs based around higher compression engines. So when you have a higher compression engine, you need high octane fuel in order to make them run well, as anyone who uses Shell V-Power in their breathed-on MGB will know. They always run better with a higher octane fuel. So they were really aimed at the... American market in particular, um, so never really caught on here in the UK because they never really quite ran well. Um, of course, they would do nowadays, perfect now. It'll be a model that's come into its own. So, But an interesting story of a, of a Mark II with a bit of an interesting twist to it in MG's history. But I think I can't mention MG's history from the 1930s through to the 1950s without talking about how the 1960s began, which of course was with the MGA Mark II. Now, the MGA had gone through various different transformations. Of course, we talked about the twin cam MGAs not that long ago on the podcast. But here they increased the bore size to three inches. It was now 1622 cc. It had 90 brake horsepower, more power than any MGA had had before. And of course, uh, the axle ratios had changed to make it a bit more of a boulevard cruiser for the American market. And of course, they added those tail lights in that were kind of, well, they were actually mini lights. They were genuine Austin mini lights I think that were just turned on their side weren't they uh, situated at the bottom of the rear panel there and of course that lovely inset grille that the later MGAs have which I always think is a beautiful looking uh, piece of styling and of course it reached 105 miles per hour as its top speed so the TB a rarity an interesting bit of story the TD again based around performance but I think my Mark II from the history of MG that I'm going to choose Adam was the MGA Mark II launched in 1961. What's yours? Well I think that's a really good choice mate because you know I think I've spoken about on the pod before how I think the the MGA is by far and away the prettiest car that MG have ever produced and probably will ever produce. Um, and seeing as you've nabbed the MGA from under me, um, <laughs> I'm going to go uh, a little bit more modern and I'm going to fast forward to right towards the end of MG Rover and I'm going to plump for the Mark II MG ZS. Nice. Yes. Now, tell us about where MG Rover were at at this point in time because the Zs had been out for a little while but already there was 
there was an impetus, I guess, within MG Rover, or certainly within the Rover Group, as I should probably refer to them as, at Longbridge, to start a bit of a facelift program for those cars, wasn't there? Yeah, well, what they desperately needed was a new car to replace the 45, which, you know, we need to rewind back in the mists of time even further um, and remember that that car is essentially the Rover 400, which is essentially a Honda Civic, which is essentially a Honda Damani. So that car actually can trace its lineage back to the early 90s. So by the early 2000s, it was really starting to show its age. Unfortunately, MG Rover didn't really have the budget to to build a brand new car, nor did they really have the facilities. So they engaged Peter Stevens once again, who had been behind the original Zeds, to sort of make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, if you like. Um, and yeah, they, they did um, a lot of changes to the ZS without actually changing any of the pressings, uh, except for the boot lid. Um, but yeah, they added a body kit, they added new headlights, they added a new grill, um, they added new wheel designs. Uh, inside, the Honda dashboard uh, had to go because Honda stopped making them. So um, MG Rover were forced at long last to come up with their own dashboard. So they took inspiration from Audi with uh, with some of the elements of the, of the dashboard, the, the air vents, things like that. They also had to, after many, many years, stop using the Honda indicator stalks that had been on dozens and dozens of Rover Group cars, Honda cars, MG Rover cars, because again, Honda stopped making them. So yeah, you had a piece of kit on the car that could go all the way back to the 80s that was a bit of a joke with journalists. It was it was always a subject that it still was using the same switch gear that had been on cars for sort of almost 20 years, if not longer by that point. So yeah, the the ZS Mark II really did enjoy a lot of improvements visually over the Mark I, if not so much on the quality side of things. Mm. I, You know, I still look at those later Z cars and look at the improvements they made to them and those facelifts that they gave them, especially the ZT and the ZTT, that lovely estate with those new headlights that you mentioned. They don't look outdated even now. 20 years later, they still still look like they could be rolling out of a showroom. And it's just such a shame that they never got the accolades I think they were due in the wider mainstream press because still beautiful-looking cars. That ZTT has to be one of the best-looking performance estate cars ever made. And it's been years since you could, unless you go to BMW or perhaps really expensive Audi A4 Avant type cars, there's not been many cars like that on the market. Jaguar's XF has been a diesel for all of its life as a sport brake. You haven't been able to get a petrol. So it's still a relevant car even today. Fantastic. And just as such a shame we all got our heads turned by SUVs, really. Otherwise, I think they would still be making ZTTs in one form or another. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the the obvious problem with the with the Mark II cars is um, is the the effect of Project Drive, mm. where MG Rover were hemorrhaging cash left, right, and centre. So they had to save money where they could. So although those Mark II cars look stunning, there are little bits and pieces that are missing um, that were removed to save money. For example, on a Mark II ZS, uh, you've got no rear heating. On a Mark 1 ZS, you have got it. So 
it's not too difficult to, to reverse engineer a lot of the things that were removed from the later cars to really bring them up to the quality of those Mark I cars, but to enjoy all the styling benefits of the Mark IIs. It's something I've done on, on quite a few ZSs that I've owned. Um, the trouble is those later Mark II cars are getting increasingly rare. Finding things like body kits, wheels, spoilers, that sort of thing can be can be a bit of a challenge. But if you can find a really nice sorted Mark II ZS, especially V6, um, yeah, I, you won't find a better driver's car, in my opinion, from that era. Absolutely. Well, there we go. As we head into lockdown two, they were our Mark IIs from MG's history. And there are many more, of course. We could have talked about the updates made to the MGB. We could have, of course, talked about Mark II midgets and all sorts of other uh, The follow-up to the MG magnets, of course, as well. Had fantastic uh, follow-on marks. But those are the ones that we chose. You might have yours. And if you do, let us know, mgpodcast.uk. What do you think was the best Mark II or update or facelift that MG ever gave one of their models throughout the last nearly 100 years of the brand? We'd love to hear from you, as ever, mgpodcast.uk. Send us your messages in and we'll put you on your podcast. Now, Adam, you've been digging about in the Kimberhouse archive once again and we've looked at something from the... Second World War period here, haven't we? Because, of course, next week marks Remembrance Day and Remembrance Sunday is just round the corner. So, obviously, MG were not making cars really during the 1940s, the early part at least. They had switched completely, as I said earlier, to uh, aircraft manufacture and the modification of tanks at Abingdon. There's some amazing pictures in the archive of tanks rolling past what is now your office window on the cemetery road. Uh, but... um. What have you found in the archives for us to take us back to the Second World War as we remember this week of all of those who died in conflict? So yeah, so normally um, what I share from the archive is is something that you wouldn't be able to own because it's part of our archive. Um, but what I've got this week is actually something you can own, which is um, a collection of uh, MG's wartime activities. Um, which has been edited by our own Colin Grant, who uh, works at Kimber House. He's uh, the the deputy editor on Safety Fast. Um, and this is a collection of, of basically all the things the factory got up to during World War II. Um, so there's an amazing array of things that, that happened at Abingdon during World War II, from overhauling tanks to repairing armed cars um, to building tanks, um, through to assembling trucks for for our friends from the states um and then you move on to a lot of the aircraft work that happened uh manufacturing engines for for lancaster bombers um you know a lot of people don't realize that over eight thousand engines were built for lancasters uh at abingdon uh engine mounts uh engine mounts for bristol for the bristol airplane company uh they did admiralty contracts um, all sorts of things. It was it was incredible just how busy Abingdon was during World War Two, right from the start in 1939, um, all the way through to the the end of the conflict in 1945. Uh, and this collection of, of stories and and information is broken down year by year, and really does go into some amazing detail just what Abingdon did to support the Allied war effort. When you think of where your office is now at Kimber House. And you think of Cemetery Road, which effectively is a quiet back street in Abingdon. It is almost impossible to imagine that once upon a time, 
chuffing great tanks used to be driven out of the factory at the end of your road and passed where your office is now and down ready for dispatch it is incredible to imagine that isn't it it's insane it's insane and you you just can't really imagine um what it would have been like you know that that generation um you know rightfully receive a lot of plaudits but i think it's i think it's very very difficult for people certainly of of my generation to really appreciate just what that situation must have been like absolutely it was a generation that went through an awful lot actually and perhaps at times that we're suffering what we're suffering it's actually useful to put that into context of what happens now and actually there's some no, there's some comfort in perspective in many ways because, yeah, things could be bad, but you can't imagine the way life was turned upside down by the war effort in the Second World War. And imagine if you were born in 1900. By the time you're in your teens, you're in First World War. By the time you're in your 30s, you're in the Second World War. <laughs> You've gone through Spanish flu pandemic and a global recession, a massive crash. And then by the time you get into your 50s, it's the it's the Cold War. You're in your 60s and the Vietnam War's kicking off on the other side of the world. In the 1970s, just as you're just about old enough to want to put your feet up, there's another crash in the UK. <laughs> and people are on a three-day week. That generation really did have things hard, didn't they? <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, um, but yeah, this, this collection, like I said... Um, MG Wartime Activities is available from the from the club shop. Um, and if you drop Colin an email, he's even been signing some copies, which is which is nice as well. Um, and it's got things in it like um, there the, are uh, just an, an amazing array of photos. Um, there's a, a Spitfire uh, flyover being observed by MG staff at, at Abingdon. Um, some of the girls who trained for tasks during the war effort um, because they're obviously with with a lot of the men being away fighting, there was a huge number of women employed at the at the works. Um, it covers the 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 whole gamut of things between, like I said, between 1939 and 1945. So, yeah, it's a lovely lovely tribute to those people's efforts. Brilliant, and it can be found on the shop at mgcc.co.uk. Also at mgcc.co.uk, you can find information about what happens in the MG Car Club in your part of the world, whether that be overseas or right here in the UK. And of course, in the UK, the MG Car Club's local activities are broken up into centres, the oldest of which is the MG Car Club's Southwest Centre, home, of course, to the Kimber Classic Trial. To find out more about this ancient part of mg car club history someone not as ancient as the local region joins us next neil Locke on the mg car club podcast in just a moment the mg car club podcast the mg car club the mark of friendship to take advantage of our many membership benefits access to our centers and registers and to receive your copy of safety fast magazine join us now at mgcc.go.uk sharing your passion for mg on the mg car club podcast well on this week's mg car club podcast we're talking to a representative of one of the oldest centers in the club 
Now, we've explained this before. Centres are the regional areas of the MG Car Club. It's the MG Car Club on your doorstep in your local area. And, of course, membership to the MG Car Club centres is free as part of your overall membership of the MG Car Club. It all works out marvellously. And to meet the MG Car Club Southwest Centre, we're welcoming Neil Locke to the podcast. Hi, Neil. Hi, morning. Let's take ourselves back in history then, Neil, and let's explain some of the history of the Southwest Centre. And let's go back to October the 7th, 1936, at the Western Hotel in Bath, when it all began. Tell us more. Well, yes, as you, as you say, it all, it all began there. That was the, um, the first meeting, or at least when the Southwest Centre was inaugurated, I guess there may may have been discussions about setting up a centre previously. And given that uh, Cecil Kimber was in the chair, I don't think it was an ad hoc um, and had hoc occasion. But um, that was the date of the, the first meeting. And um, some of the, the, the car club luminaries of the, of the time were elected onto the, onto the committee. Um, and um, we've been going ever since. So that's uh, 84 years this year. We've just um, celebrated our 84th anniversary, albeit virtually, and we hope to have a proper physical celebration of our 85th anniversary um, just about this time next year. Fantastic. And of course, the Southwest Centre was the home of MG Royalty, really, in that it was the centre that produced us the Cream Cracker team. And we mentioned this on last week's podcast. This was the Works MG team that was entered to prove MGs on those big trials, wasn't it? Yes, uh, Pierre McDermott was um, was uh, on that original committee. Um, Jesus Jones wasn't on the committee, but he was officials. He officiated at some of the the early events, and um, at least one of the cream cracker cars was um, prepared uh, at the garage of Morgan Marshall in Bristol. And also, you were one of the very first centres to have a lady at the helm as well, weren't you? Yes, um, um, Miss Stuart Black was on the um, was on the original committee. Now history history doesn't tell me whether that that was a that was all a surname or that was an unusual well, unusual first name. But I think that um, having a lady on the committee is still um, an unusual thing to this day. Well, uh, we spoke to Lorraine Noble Thompson uh, much earlier on in the podcast uh, this year, and she's so currently serving on the national committee of the MG Car Club. But uh, yeah, ladies at the heart of MG Car Club business right from the very start in the nineteenth. 30s and so from that inaugural meeting there was the normal business of getting the car club underway and started but also Cecil Kimber came up with something else didn't he and he personally offered a trophy to the centre for competition in a key event and that really gave rise to one of the oldest events that the MG car club still runs to this day tell us all about that yes so as you say, Cecil Kimber offered a trophy, um, which we which we still have. That was called the Kimber Trophy, and uh, it was used for the Kimber to- Trophy Trial, which was traditionally held on on Boxing Day. Uh, and so the first one was Boxing Day, nineteen thirty six. So up and running pretty quickly after that first October October meeting. And there have been a few exceptions, but it's been run um, most years um, ever since. No longer on Boxing Day. Um, there is some confusion uh, sometimes between the Kimber Trophy Trial, which is a, a single venue event, and the Kimber Classic Trial, which is um, 
a different event which takes part in the in the spring. But the Kimber Trials, single single venue uh, event, um, as I say, goes on to this day, uh, and it's probably um, is a is a much easier event these days. So that's the kind of event that you could do in a road car. Um, so I've competed in the Kimber Trial, uh, for example, in an MGTF 160, which, as you can imagine. Fantastically great trials car, uh, and also in a in an MGB GT, which um, which ordinarily might be an okay trials car if it wasn't for the, the somewhat lower suspension that's on the, on the car. So you could still you could still have a bit of fun at a trial um, with a car which really doesn't seem like a trials car. The trialing scene really was at the centre of the southwest uh, centre of the MG Car Club right until the Second World War arrived, and then. Uh, once motorsport had sort of stopped, there was a bit of a lull, really, until things started to get going in the late 1940s, early 1950s. But uh, amazing testament, really, to those pre-war MGs that they were still winning well into the 1950s, still J2s leading the pack and uh, doing well in trialing right the way through until the uh, late 1950s, in fact. But today... Explain what trialing is all about, what it kind of entails, because I guess most people thinking of trialing have probably seen someone bouncing up and down in the passenger seat of a little buggy and are struggling to understand how that relates to something that you could do with an MG. So explain a typical trial day to us. The purpose of a trial is to get as far as you can up a, up a hill. Um, and that hill is usually in a muddy, slippery, bumpy kind of place. Um, so on a single venue event, that's quite often in a in a field or a series of fields that are um, that are co-located. Um, so you start you start um, in, in your own time, and uh, the course is marked up with uh, with posts showing the number of points that you would get if you managed to get past that particular post. So um, if you manage to get past the first set set of um set of points you post you'll get 10 points right up to the top and uh, if you get past the final post which has got zero on it then you clear the trial and uh, and you and your um your your best scorer for that for that trial you you um often get um three or four four attempts and depend on the time of year and the weather the trial can get easier or more difficult. So um, if the trial's in summer, which we do have a summer trial, um, the, the um, course can get easier as the day wears on, as the grass gets flattened and the, uh, you know, the mud gets packed underneath the, the wheels. You can find yourself cleaning a trial in a, in an MG, in a modern MGTF. Um, but in the winter trials, then uh, as time goes on, the mud kicks up and um, the, the longer it goes on, the less likely you are to get to the top. To to, um, to succeed in one of those trials, you, you really want um, th- some of the old stuff, the old stuff with the narrow wheels, and you need um, somebody in the passenger seat to bounce, and, and bouncing uh, helps you get the, the traction. So ordinarily one wheel would be spinning, and, and uh, the bouncer is bouncing in the vehicle, moving around, trying to get some traction for that wheel that's, that's spinning. And it's tremendous fun, isn't it, Neil? I mean, this is the very definition of grassroots motorsport. Most of those grassroots will end up in your face at some point during the trial. Uh, But it literally is something you can take your car off the road and go and have a go at, isn't it? 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, if you've got an open-top car, you probably want to keep your mouth shut and keep your goggles on, <laughs> but you could do it, do it in a closed car. But even so, even so, I have got some photographs in the album of the of the drive at home after the MGBGT's been jet-washed after a trial. And, and uh, you know, the, the, a lot of mud is involved. By its, uh, well, we couldn't say it was good, clean fun, but it's certainly good fun, and you can have a go at it in most things because if you're if you're driving a you know a J2 midget and you've got a chance of getting to the top of the hill, then fantastic. If you're driving a, a modern car, then you're trying to get yourself further up the hill than you did last time, and that might not be very far up the hill, but it's just as much fun. It is amazing how well those older cars do, isn't it? And uh, regular listeners to the podcast will know that I'm a regular competitor in the MCC Exeter Trial and Land's End Trial, those uh, big national trials that Cecil Kimber once coveted uh, so dearly in the 1930s. They're still running today, but they are they are harsh on the car. And, um, you know, cars take a good old beating uh, going up those uh, sections today. They are hard work. But this is... This is slightly more accessible, I would say. So talk us through some of the wide range of cars. You've already said, you know, you've done it in a modern TF and that you see the pre-war MGs on there. Uh, but talk about the widespread of cars that you do see taking part in the trials. The, the Kimber Classic trial, which is a multi-venue event, tends to, uh, tends to attract pre-war cars. Um, but also a, a smattering of post-war cars, the old, the old modern or modern midget. Um, we also have um, invited clubs. You sometimes see an Austin Seven and um, and and other odds and sods. But it's mostly pre-war MGs that um, that are um, involved in that in that event. The single venue event, um, which is in the field on a Sunday morning, uh, you, you could find you could find yourself. Um, parked up in your MG J2 1932 next to a Metro or a modern midget or an MG BGT. Um, I haven't tried it in the, in the ZR. I'm not sure that um, that would be such a, such a great, such a great trials car, but anything from the whole range of MGs um, will be, um, will be parked, will be parked up there. And as I say, um, depending on what kind of car you've got, you know, you have to set your expectations as to how far you're going to get up the hill, but that doesn't diminish the fun. No. It's just about the challenge. Absolutely, and I can promise you, you'll never have had so much fun at 15 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, it is slow speed, but it doesn't feel like it when you're doing it, does it? The old adrenaline is racing. Oh, yes. You know, if you've got, um, particularly if you've got a more modern MG with uh, with wider wheels, you know, part of the challenge is just to get started. <laughs> you know, never have you had so much fun trying to pull away um, than, on a, than on a trial. You... you um, I don't think the gear. I think gears are required for a trial, and and, and actually, the, the most excitement on a trial is coming back down again, because you get as far as you can, which sort of by definition means you're kind of stuck, or the car won't go any further. But of course, you're now facing the wrong way, uh, and needing to somehow get to the get to the bottom of the get to the bottom of the hill. You will probably return to the hill via, um, not via the course itself, via um, a wet grassy field and sometimes that can be as much of a challenge as getting up well i know there's a lot of fun had both from the competitors of trials with the southwest center and also those that marshal it as well but it's no secret that you are always struggling to find marshals so perhaps tell us what being a marshal involves and just how much fun those guys do have well i think um, being a marshal is all about a bit of camaraderie so if you're if you're on a you're on a marshal's post 
hopefully with some others if we're um, if, you know if we're well resourced then yeah yeah i mean you've got a bit of fun you stood up you stood you usually in a in a place with which is nice in the countryside often with spectacular spectacular views or or um certainly um uh, you know a nice place to be you you set the cars in motion tell the cars when they when they may start uh, you know you got to, you have to keep an eye on them on how far they get and uh, and often have to walk down the hill to measure and take their take their take their tires but it's it's um it's a way of getting in amongst an mg event without um without having to compete so if you haven't got a car that's suitable or you don't feel that you want to get your car covered in mud you could still get yourself in, involved in an event and feel and feel part of something that's uh, you know that's a, that's a good morning or a good day out what's the best way of starting who do they need to get in touch with and what stuff do they need there's two primary ways to to get in touch you you can either um email the chairman which is uh, chairman at mgccsw.com or message through the MG Car Club Southwest Facebook page, and I will I will pass that on to the the relevant relevant person. You don't need anything. You probably want some warm clothes if it's in the autumn and the winter, and uh, and unless you're really lucky, you probably want a pair of pair of Wellingtons as well. But other than that, there's there's nothing. Um, you don't need any experience. You you'll uh, be paired with somebody who has done the job before, and um, and you'll pick it up very very quickly. And, and also, it's not you know this is an amateur Sunday morning fun mark of friendship event. So you know there, there's none of the sort of John McEnroe um, outbursts from the from the drivers. Everybody's there for a for a bit of fun. The, the drivers um, and the competitors appreciate very much the the marshals and the officials. They they know that those events couldn't happen with those people. So so uh, it's generally a you know a congenial. Um, congenial atmosphere where um you know everybody's really just trying to enjoy themselves for the day get away from it all and have a bit of fun in their car yeah absolutely and that is the thing with trialing you're actually not competing against anyone but yourself in many ways it's all about whether you clean that hill or whether you don't and it's you're your own competitor really and that that breeds a real sense of camaraderie amongst all the other competitors and and i know from breaking things in the past when i've been trialing that other competitors will quickly rally round to make sure you get your car fixed and and get underway and and get anything that you need for a breakdown it's a really lovely community feel isn't it oh yes yeah. so i've been um taking photographs on the kimber classic trial and, and pulled over to see you know a couple of gentlemen with a with a you know a pre-war differential on the ground changing it out and and um and if help's needed everybody rallies around because as you say it's against of course it's against everybody else and everybody wants to win because you know that's the, the nature of it but um if somebody else is is able to get up the hill better than you then that's due to their skill or their vehicle or their their luck and um and you're ple- and you're pleased for them. So everybody everybody um, mucks in if there's a if there's an issue with with a car. You, you, you know you, you never um, it's, it's always the same in any kind of MG event that mark of friendship does swing in does swing into action. Um, and often you have more help than you really want. Well, outside of trialing, then tell us about some of the other events that the Southwest Centre do, and the other things that you get up to in a in a normal year, of course, which is far from what twenty twenty has been. I know, but normally, what would you be getting up to? We have a um, a, a range of events. So we um, we we do um, we have a couple of auto tests. 
Uh, these used to be Gymkhana's, but they've had to be rebranded as auto tests because Gymkhana's have been effectively regulated out of existence by the um, by Motorsport UK and probably with some um, with some re- reasonable cause. So um, we have uh, grass auto tests. So that's a sort of um, an auto test driving through the cones um, for, uh, and and with turns and parking and the like. But we do that on the grass because grass is um, is uh, better for for the for you know what even uh, for, for the cars that, that that we have let less let's say less um less harsh on the cars um the, we don't tend to have auto tests that are quite as complicated as you might find if you go to a tarmac auto test because um not only the cars getting on but some of the drivers are getting on you know and uh, it's not supposed to be a test of, test of memory so it's none of the sort of spin turn J-turn, reverse kind of stuff that you might see the the minis or the order test specials done. It's more something that you can you can do again in your everyday MG. So on a MG on grass auto test, um, you you will get anything from an 1880 up to um, up to um, a Metro. We've never seen a we've never seen an MG3 or an MG6, but um, certainly um, plenty of plenty of Zeds and Metros alongside the 1880s and 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 T-types from the from the sensor, um, we then um, we we used to run uh, a series of speed events, and and the problem for speed events in general is that a lot of them were held on Ministry of Defence land, and and uh, access to that land, old airfields particularly, is becoming more more limited. So on our calendar now, we just have the one speed event, which is our hill climb at Wiscombe Park. Uh, anybody who's been to Wiscombe Park will know it's a glorious location, a, a country house. Um, I, I think some of the some of the um, adverts say it's a race up the garden path, um, but um, a day out at Wiscombe is really something that uh, that is not to be missed on a on a sunny day. The um, the other the final kind of a, the, the event we run, uh, uh, social runs. We have two kinds of social runs. Uh, w- ones that involve um, actually driving, not in convoy, but everybody on the long the same route um, according to a, a route that's been provided, and meeting up at set points for coffee breaks, for lunch, for for tea, and at the the end. And we also have um, the kind of event where. Um, where everybody makes their own way to a, um, a place of interest and then maybe has a picnic. So we have a summer picnic, which is a, would be a national trust or an old railway or a, or a point of interest. Um, and then the final kind of event that we have is the regular natters. Now, um, natters um, used to be called noggin and natters. I'm not sure there's so much food uh, in, involved these days, but they are um, essentially pub meets. And there's a series of pub meets around the, around the country uh, once a month on a on a set day, second Tuesday of the month or whatever it is for your your particular natter, where people will in the summer drive in their MGs and probably sit outside and talk about MGs, or in the in the winter will perhaps drive their let's call it normal car or their everyday car to to event but sit inside and talk about MGs, uh, and so natters clearly suffered due to um, due to COVID nineteen, but hopefully. Um, particularly um, as the as the spring starts and and we can be more outside, natters will kick back into action um, next year. And natters are the ideal way, the ideal access point to the to the centre. You meet like-minded people, people who can advise you what sort of events might be good for your car, or people who are just you know just 
generally friendly there for an evening, evening out in the spirit of talking about MGs. We've even have um, started in the last year lunchtime natters, which is um, which is the um, the same kind of thing, but obviously for people who who um, who don't have to don't have to work. So uh, a weekday meet for lunch at a local pub, along the same along the same lines, just. Um, just people with a shared interest getting together and having a having a chat nice well we'll uh, encourage people to keep up to date then via mgccsw.com or of course the mgccsw facebook page which if you go and look at at the moment there's a bit of a facebook page campaign going on uh, that you're driving neil where there's all sorts of archive photos coming through um tell us about some of the pictures you've uncovered doing that well, we, we the the, the centre has a series of um, albums. The centre was particularly active, I suppose, late sixties and through the through the seventies. Um, there are a number of, um, of of old fashioned photograph albums which have got the photographs stuck in, and uh, our chair took it on himself to photograph um, digitally um, a lot of those um, of those photographs, and and we. We've over time shared them on both the web page and on and on Facebook, and they're interesting because they, because the quality's not uh, not especially good because they're you know they're they're um, forty year old black and white photographs that have been um, that, that have been digitised, but they're really a fascinating insight into what sort of thing happened and what sort of people were were there. Very interesting to see what people were wearing, what kind of events were were, were being done by the by the car club. You know those. Uh, it's 40, 50 years ago. That sounds it. Uh, well, go and have a look at it at the MG Car Club Southwest Centre's Facebook page. And also you can check out loads of information on their website as well, as I mentioned, mgccsw.com. And it's been a rough old year for our centres, Neil. And I know that normally you'd have had a calendar packed full of events uh, for your 84th year, but um, it just wasn't meant to be. So uh, I guess what you're doing is what we're all doing is looking forward to 2021 being a brighter and better year. Yes, and of course, a lot of people have taken the opportunity during lockdown to um, to fix up or refurbish or recommission or improve their their cars. So, um, really, no excuse to get out, not to get out to an MG Car Club Southwest Centre event in twenty twenty one, as soon as we're able. Well, if you're in that part of the world and you're an MG Car Club member, get along to it, get involved. They sound like great fun and uh, fantastic. If you like some easy to access grassroots motorsport as well so uh, neil lock thanks for joining us the mg car club podcast safety fast the magazine of the mg car club get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk well good to hear from neil there from the mg car club southwest region and great to hear all about the trials and Christmas is around the corner and I know that because we're in second lockdown and it's kind of getting towards that time of the year a lot of people are actually already putting their Christmas trees up just to cheer themselves up so <laughs> if people are doing that then why not have a think about your shopping for your MG fan in the family that needs gifts and uh, well we've got just the answer haven't we Adam these are the MG car club gift sets and this Christmas, we've packaged up some of our best gifts into one set for you. Well, the contents may vary on these boxes, but the anniversary box is all 90th anniversary stuff, basically. It contains a green bandana, 
large grill badge in there, pin badges, key fobs, anniversary window stickers, a club pen, and a gift tag. That's one example. Yours might be even better than that. And that's £65. A beautifully presented box contains all of those lovely gifts. And then there are some smaller ones, aren't there, Adam? There's the Take a Break box uh, containing the admin mug, which basically means a mug with a picture of the old MG car company admin block building on it, which is the iconic photograph in black and white of the old factory. It's got clotted cream fudge in there. Look at that. Humbly clotted cream fudge with MGs all over the box. I like it. I want that. And then uh, it's got a gift tag in there as well. That's just £12 for smaller budgets. And then this is a good one as well, isn't it? Because uh, this is ideal dad stuff, this. This is brilliant. You know dads like to have gadgets. Uh, there's a motoring box here containing a chocolate tool. <laughs> <laughs> A club key fob, a club scarf, and now these are very nice because we talked about the manufacturer in Ireland that makes these, didn't we, the other week? Um, we did, yeah. yeah. Uh, gift tag in there as well for £36. So basically there are three sort of different tiers, three different levels, price points, budgets, whatever you want to call them, but all of them looking splendid and all of them really nicely presented for Christmas. And you can find these on the MG Car Club shop now under MG Car Club gift sets. The anniversary box, the big one, the motoring box, the middle one, and the take a break box, that lovely little one with the mug and the clotted cream fudge. Uh, just £12 for that. So uh, something for everyone there for Christmas, Adam. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole idea was to have a range of, of budgets and, you know, with the situation that we're living in at the moment, Christmas shopping is already stressful enough, you know, without having to battle a global pandemic um, to try and get to the shops and, and find those gifts. So, yeah, let's try and um, focus on in, on spending time with the family and enjoying ourselves and not getting any more stress in our lives. So, yeah, do it in one hit, get a gift box. Well, I do predict that the moment lockdown lifts and sort of gift shops are open again on the high street, there is going to be one heck of a rush, isn't there? Because everyone's going to be hitting the shops within those two or three weeks. Basically, everyone's going to be doing man shopping this Christmas, whether they like it or not. It's going to be yeah. enforced chaos. Uh, but you can avoid all of that by getting the great stuff that we've got in the MG Car Club shop, and that's just some examples of it there. You can find the other examples of it to browse at your leisure. Shop.mgcc co.uk you can find it all online now or of course follow the links to those gift sets from the newsletter that lands in your inbox every weekend i think that just about rounds us up for episode 31 of the mg car club podcast at the beginning of the uk lockdown mark two we'll get through it together stick with us from me wayne scott see you next time from me adam Stoneman. see you soon subscribe to receive new episodes of the mg car club podcast at mgpodcast.uk